according to Jewish judicial tradition um, or the law which was established by God and given for the people of Israel. In other words, this whole thing, the, the appearance before the former and current high priests, um, the legal proceedings with the Sanhedrin, it's, it's all fake. It's all a big, giant sham. It's a big performance, and we're gonna see that today. So I've titled today's message, The Sanhedrin Sentenced the Savior in a Sham Suit. And church, we wanna pay close attention to what happens here in the scripture today. These proceedings are poorly run and executed. And in addition to that, they're only done to serve the personal interests of the Jewish religious leadership. The legal proceedings and the verdict that is reached in our text are done to protect protect the desires of hearts of evil. And these are the men that lead the nation of Israel in their faith. And what the issue is here is in their hearts, they don't want God. God is not their desire. Jesus is getting in the way of their desires. What they really want is power or wealth or relationships or fame um, or a sense of belonging. And this religious lifestyle that they're they're involved in is their way of obtaining those desires. But God is not what they want. And you know what? I bet there's people in this room right now that are that exact same way. Maybe you love the people here Or maybe you love the social interactions. Maybe your friends go to church here or your kids' friends go to church here. But let let me tell you something. If you aren't here because of all things, above all things, you want Jesus, then this church is just a country club without a golf course. So here we see that the Lord is on the last parts of his journey to the cross. And he's at the end of his ministry. He spent the last three years exposing the truth of the hearts of the very men that are about to sentence him to die. And you know what? They're very, very angry about it. And we're going to see them pervert justice today so that they can once and for all shut Jesus up. And these are evil, murderous, prideful men. They're sinful. And these sinful men are going to condemn the sinless, perfect Savior just so they can keep on sinning. And we'll see today they've abandoned God's word and made a total mockery out of justice, which is extremely important to God. So let's look at Psalm chapter 37, verse 28. It says this, for the Lord loves justice. He will not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever, but the children of the wicked shall be cut off. Justice is important to God. He loves it. It's actually one of his attributes. 
In Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse four, it says, the rock, his work is perfect for all his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. Again, church, justice is important to God. It's something that he expects in all of us. Justice is what we call a communicable attribute of God. In other words, it's a quality of God that we can all have. So God expects that we'll uphold justice and love it just as he does. Proverbs chapter 21 verse 3 says, to do righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. So as we move into the text today, we need to remember first and foremost that justice is extremely important to God. And the Jews from the time of Moses up until this moment in our text today would have known that quite clearly. Their system of law and justice is developed from the word of God given to them through Moses. So let's take a look at Deuteronomy chapter 16, verses 18 through 20. It says this, you shall appoint judges and officers in all your towns that the Lord your God is giving you according to your tribes and they shall judge the people without righteous judgment. You shall not pervert justice. You shall not show partiality and you shall not accept a bribe for a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and subverts the cause of the righteous. Justice and only justice you shall follow that you may live and inherit the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Now the judges and officers in every town at the time of our text were known as local Sanhedrin. Every town with at least 120 men that were heads of household um, has a local body of Sanhedrin. But the Sanhedrin in our text today is the Sanhedrin. So what we see in our text today would be the modern day equivalent of standing in front of the U.S. Supreme Court. This is the highest court in their land, in the land of Israel. And this group is known as the Great Sanhedrin of Jerusalem. But what we see in our text in Luke today, starting in verse 63, is actually the last portion of what has gone on throughout the night. So let's review what's happened so far. And Pastor Sam shed a little bit of light on this uh, last week when he was talking about Peter in, in the courtyard. And it's important for us to know that everything we're talking about today is happening at the same time as the text from last week um, when, pre when Pastor Sam was preaching about um, Peter's denial. What we see today is going on at the same time as that. Okay, they're going on simultaneously. So Pastor Sam showed us what was going on outside last week. This week, we're gonna take a look at what's going on indoors. So turn with me, if you will, to John chapter 18, verses 12 through 14 and 19 through 24. John chapter 18, verses 12 through 14 and 19 through 24. And it says, so the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. First, they led him to Annas 
for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. Now let's jump over to verse 19. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in the synagogues and in the temple where all the Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I, ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. When he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand saying, is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, if what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. So Jesus is arrested in the garden and he's taken from there to, to Annas. And Annas is referred to in verse 19 as the high priest. And that's because Annas is the former high priest. Um, and this is the first of three quote unquote trials that the Lord's going to face in front of Jewish leadership. And let's keep in mind that these aren't actually trials. These are witch hunts for some charge that they can put on Jesus to guarantee a death sentence from Pilate. Okay, so we got to remember that's the end game for the Sanhedrin right here is they're just looking for something that they can stick on Jesus to take into Pilate to present that, hey, this man is a danger. He needs to be put to death. So that's, that's what they're going for right here. And Annas, he's somewhat of a godfather type figure in the temple priesthood. The high priest was supposed to be a position that was a lifetime appointment Yet over the last 20 years, there have been five high priests, all of which have been related directly or through marriage to Annas. The current high priest, Caiaphas, is his son-in-law, and Annas is running a profitable racket out of the temple, charging pilgrims exorbitant prices for animals with which they can make sacrifices to God. So Annas is profiting off of the religious practices of the Jews. So we can see a conflict of interest here. Jesus has cleansed the temple twice in his ministry at this time. Uh, first at the beginning of it, and then about three days ago in our text right now, about three days ago on Tuesday, you can, if you want to go back and look at that, you can see it in Luke chapter 19, verses 45 through 48. But that was on Tuesday. Now we're very early on Friday morning in our text. And Annas can't get anything out of Jesus. So he's sending Jesus to Caiaphas. And this is where we continue our narrative, and we're going to see the continuance of that in Matthew chapter 26, verses 57 through 68. So turn there with me, Matthew chapter 26, verses 57 through 68. Matthew chapter 26, verses 57 through 68 says this. 
Then those who had seized Jesus led him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and elders had gathered. And Peter was following him at a distance as far as the courtyard of the high priest. And going inside, he sat with the guards to see the, see the end. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking false testimony against Jesus that they might put him to death. But they found none. Though many false witnesses came forward, at last two came forward and said, this man said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to rebuild it in three days. And the high priest stood up and said, have you no answer to, to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But Jesus remained silent. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the son of God. And Jesus said to him, you have said so, but I tell you from now on, you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of the power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his robes and said, he has uttered blasphemy. What further witnesses do we need? You have now heard his blasphemy. What is your judgment? They answered, he deserves death. Then they spit in his face and struck him. And some slapped him saying, prophesy to us, you Christ, who is it that struck you? So Caiaphas begins his witch hunt for a charge against the Lord. And we see that he tries to bring false witnesses that he no doubt bribed for a false testimony. And of course, this is a violation of the ninth commandment. But let's take a look at Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 15 through 21. Turn there with me. Deuteronomy chapter 19, verses 15 through 21. And it says this, a single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime or for any wrong in connection with an offense that he has committed. Only on the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses shall a charge be established. If a malicious witness arises to accuse a person of wrongdoing, then both parties to the dispute shall appear before the Lord before the priests and the judges who were in office in those days. The judges shall inquire diligently. And if the witness is a false witness and has accused his brother falsely, then you shall do to him as he had meant to do to his brother. You shall purge the evil from your midst and the rest shall hear and fear and shall never again commit any such evil among you. Your, your eye shall not pity. It shall be life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. So to be obedient to God's law, they should have taken these witnesses to Pilate for death. But that's not what's going to happen, of course. Blasphemy will be the charge against Jesus. And this is what they're gonna to take to Pilate. This is the charge they're gonna present Pilate with. There's only one problem here though, church. 
Jesus has not committed blasphemy by definition. Um, turn with me to Leviticus chapter 24, verses 10 through 16. Leviticus chapter 24, verses 10 through 16. It says this, now an Israelite woman's son, whose father was an Egyptian, went out among the people of Israel, and the Israelite woman's son and a man of Israel fought in the camp, and the Israelite woman's son blasphemed the name and cursed. Then they brought him to Moses. His mother's name was Shemaleth, and the daughter was Debri of the tribe of Dan, and they put him in custody till the will of the Lord should be clear to them. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, bring out of the camp the one who cursed and let all who heard him lay their hands on his head and let all the congregation stone him and speak to the people of Israel saying, whoever curses his God shall bear his sin. Whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. All of the congregation shall stone him, the sojourner as well as the native, when he blasphemes the name, shall be put to death. So by definition, what blasphemy is involves the cursing of the name of God, which is, of course, a sin. And as we know, Jesus would not have committed this or any other sin. So the unofficial hearings the hearing's not meant to be public. Um, they're all just one huge sham filled with conspiracy, conflicts of interests, bribery, false witnesses, and the abandonment of actual justice. And of this, the Lord does have something to say. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 15 says, you shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness, you shall judge your neighbor. The standard given to us by God doesn't stop at the courtroom doors. Perfection is a standard inside and outside the courtroom. And with that being said, let's finally jump into our text today. Um, Matthew chapter 26, verses 67 and 68 ended with the Sanhedrin spitting on the Lord and striking him while he was blindfolded. And Luke's narrative is gonna pick up basically right at that moment. But as you can already tell, these proceedings are a giant sham put on by men that want their sin rather than Jesus. And we're going to see this sham play out in four different parts of the scripture today. First, we'll see the sham and the treatment of Jesus, verses 63 through 65. The way Jesus is treated while in custody shows this trial should have never been allowed to take place. Second, we'll see it in the trial of Jesus, verses 66 through 67a. The proceedings themselves are gonna be performed unjustly according to Jewish jurisprudence. Third, the testimony of Jesus in verses 67b through 70 points us to the sham. The Lord's will will show us 
the Lord's testimony will show us that there is no validity in these legal proceedings. And lastly, we'll see it in the treachery of the Sanhedrin in verse 71. The sentencing of Jesus by the Sanhedrin invalidates the entire proceeding. And everything that we see here in Luke today is going to point toward the fact that the trial used to condemn Jesus is a mock trial. It's a sham. These men are threatened by Jesus. Jesus is a threat to their power, their prestige, their wealth, and their entire way of religious life. So let's start in our text. Luke chapter 22 verses 63 through 65, where we'll see the sham of the Sanhedrin in the treatment of Jesus. It says this, now the men who were holding Jesus in custody were mocking him as they beat him. They also blindfolded him and kept asking him, prophesy, who is it that struck you? And they said many other things against him, blaspheming him. So as we begin Luke's account of these proceedings, it's virtually right where Matthew leaves off. And we know from Mark's account that the word men here could very well be referring to the guards. Uh, Mark's account runs very closely with Matthew's. And Mark chapter 14, verse 65 says, and some began to spit on him and cover his face and strike him saying, saying to him, prophesy. And the guards received him with blows. So to be clear about what's going on here, Jesus is about to stand in front of the third proceeding of the morning, okay? And this is on Friday. And at this moment, he, he's already stood before Annas, all right? So that was the first proceeding. And then he went before Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin. That was the second proceeding. So what's going on in verses 63 through 65 of Luke is a quick transition between that second hearing into the third hearing. They're about to have a hearing in front of the full assembly of the Sanhedrin, which is gonna start in verse 66. And this is going to be the quote unquote legitimate hearing. And we'll talk more about that in a moment. But while that transition is being made, the guards are beating Jesus. They're hitting him in the face while he's blindfolded. They're telling him to use his power a prophecy to tell which one of them is hitting him. And we know from Mark's parallel account that they're spitting on him. And they're also blaspheming him. Now the Greek word used in verse 65 for blaspheming uh, right here means slandering or reviling. So what they're doing is they're saying some very awful, mean cruel things to the Lord in anger. And what's worse is the guards are doing this because they saw the priests and the elders doing it. They didn't just start mistreating Jesus here. The, the priests and the elders started all this. They're doing what their leaders are doing. They're following suit. The men who were about to judge the Lord were first beating and mocking him. Now, what kind of legitimate trial do you think this is going to be? 
So what we see just from this treatment is that this trial is going to go against the Lord. And this is how bad they want to keep their sin. They're willing to be this cruel to Jesus just because he has made known to them what is in their hearts. Let's take a look at the trial in verse 66, verses 66 through 67a. Here we're going to see that the proceeding itself was invalid. And so chapter 22, verses 67 and 60, uh, 66 through 67a says this. When day came, the assembly of the elders of the people gathered together, both chief priests and scribes, and they led him away to their council. And they said, if you are the Christ, tell us. The key phrase that I want you to lock into here in this section is when day came. There's actually a significant meaning to it. This phrase is the Sanhedrin's attempt to legitimize the proceedings that are about to happen. You see, according to their rules and regulations, cases involving capital punishment must be tried during the day only so no one would rush to judgment or fail to consider any details so they could hurry home. But as we know from the other three gospels, this case has already been decided. And it was done in the middle of the night. It was done under cover of darkness. It's a sham. They want Jesus gone so their sins won't be brought to light. Trials were also not permitted on feast days or on the Sabbath day to be obedient to God's law. Well, the day that we're on right now, Friday, is Passover. And the next day will be Saturday, which is the Sabbath. And John reminds us of that in John chapter 18, verses 28. It says, Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas. This is happening directly after what we're reading right now. And they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. Yet another rule of jurisprudence is broken and they will break more. And we'll get to those in a moment. But continuing in verse 66, we see that the assembly of the elders of the people gathered together, both chief priests and scribes. Now Luke is identifying the assembly for us here, which is known as the Sanhedrin. This group consists of 71 men, 70 Sadducees and Pharisees, and the high priest, who is Caiaphas. So they're all going to have this official trial of Jesus right here in Caiaphas's palace. And that's the next way that they've broken jurisprudence. Trials before the Sanhedrin were to be held in the temple so that they could be public. But not so here because this is a huge sham. They want their sins hidden from the people. They want to live in the dark. And as we move to verse 67a, we're going to see that they cut straight to the chase in their questioning. They're going to skip all of the false witnesses and questioning that they tried previously with the Lord that didn't work. 
They spent the last several hours in unofficial proceedings, figuring out what charges they can get to stick to Jesus. And they've decided that his claim that he's the Christ and the Son of God qualifies as blasphemy, which, as we've already seen, does not. And they, they think that's their best shot to con convince Pilate to put him to death. See, in this time with Roman authority over Israel, the Israel does not have permission to do their own executions. They must do them through Rome. So, so they're going to have to get um, Pilate's approval to put Jesus to death. So here's the prompt in verse 67a. It says, if you are the Christ, tell us. So let's skip all the other fake stuff we've been putting you through for the last few hours and get right down to it. But do you see the longing for their sin is causing them to do? Do you see what it's causing them to do, church? They're ignoring judicial law so they can have their sin. They're willing to commit murder so they can have their sin. I mean, this is sickening. And it's a sham. And this is a way for them to get what they want most. And the prompt in 67a leads us to our next section in our text, which is the testimony of Jesus in verses 67b through 70. So we've seen the desire for their sin cause this sham trial in the treatment of Jesus and now in the trial of Jesus. So next we're going to take a look at Jesus's testimony, which is going to expose the sham even further. So 67b through 70 says this, but he said to them, I tell you, if I tell you, you will not believe. And if I ask you, you will not answer. But from now on, the son of man shall be seated at the right hand of the power of God. So they all said, are you the son of God then? And he said, you say that I am. Now, the first thing that we notice here is that Jesus has not changed his answers. If you go back and compare his answers with what's said in Matthew and Mark's accounts, they have not changed. He's, he's saying the same thing. He's not backing down from what he has said. And his testimony in verses 67b and 68 are pointing us once again to the fact that these, the entirety of these proceedings are just a huge sham. They're fake. They're illegitimate. The Lord is essentially telling them, if I say yes, you won't believe me because then you'd have to acknowledge who I really am. But if I say no, you won't believe me because then you'd have to dismiss the trial and let me go. And if I ask you who you think I am, you're, going to, you're not going to answer because neither answer works for you. This is just all a giant sham, church. And what the Lord says in verse 69 is truly profound. He already said it um, in one of the earlier proceedings. Um, if you recall, Matthew chapter 26 Verses 64 and 65, Jesus said to them, 
You have said so, but I tell you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of the power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his robes and said, he has uttered blasphemy. What further witness do we need? What further witnesses do we need? You have now heard his blasphemy. So here in verse 69 of Luke, Caiaphas isn't going to react to it like he did in the, in the unofficial trial where he tore his robes. Um, but like I said, you can already see that uh, right there in Matthew. The Lord's message to the Sanhedrin here is clearly understood by them. Jesus is telling them that the next time they see him in a trial, he will be the judge. He's pointing out to them that their desire to stay sinning is going to have grave consequences. Let's take a look at Psalm, chapter, uh, Psalm 110, verses one and five through six. It says this, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Now jump down to verses five and six. It says this, the Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpses. He will shatter chiefs over the wide earth. So what's here in Psalm 110 is a solemn promise made by the father to the son. So Jesus is saying that he will be at the right hand of God. Him saying that is a claim of deity. It's also a claim that he will be the judge. And we can see that also as the Lord identifies himself as the son of man in Daniel chapter seven, verses 13 and 14. It says this, I saw in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given the dominion and glory in kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So the message is understood quite clearly by the Sanhedrin, specifically Caiaphas, and that's what's happening in verse 70 of our text. The Sanhedrin is asking Jesus to confirm what he just said. And the reason that they are asking this in this manner is because they want an affirmative answer because that's enough to place a conviction upon the Lord. So they're gonna ask him this to kind of tell him to, or get him to answer it plainly. And now this is a pivotal moment in the trial because the Lord if the Lord stands on the truth, he's gonna be put to death for it. Of course he does. And we know from studying the scripture that it's God's will that the Lord be crucified, but Jesus knows his answer will give them exactly what they want. Now his answer, you say that I am, this is not some sort of passive answer or some way of beating around the bush. This answer is quite direct. We just have to understand it within the context of what we're seeing in our scripture today. Jesus answers this way for two reasons. First, Jesus 
just told them in verses 67b and 68 that they're not going to believe him no matter what his answer is here. So part of the purpose of his answer is to verbalize the fact that there's really no use in answering the question. Second, Jesus cannot lie. And it's quite clear from this response that he's answering in the, in the affirmative. And that is to say that he's saying yes. And we'll see in, verses, in verse 71 that his answer is understood by the Sanhedrin as a yes. But the Lord's answer here in verse 70, again, points us to the fact that the trial is a sham. Everything that's going on here is happening so that evil men can stay in their sin. They don't want Jesus. You see, in capital cases, Jewish jurisprudence has a built-in kind of Fifth Amendment. In other words, if the death penalty, um, if death is the penalty for your crime, you can't incriminate yourself. But as we see here, as we enter the last verse, Jesus is allowed to incriminate himself. And just as a reminder, church, none of this is a surprise to Jesus. He knows that he's going to the cross. But brothers and sisters, I hope you're starting to see the price at which you were purchased. So far, our Lord has been beaten. He's been mocked. He's been insulted. He's been spit on. All coming from a fake trial. All because men love sin. And this isn't the last of it, nor is it the most severe. But the Lord is enduring this for you and for me. Well, let's move on to verse 71 in Luke chapter 22. And right here, we'll see the treachery of the Sanhedrin through their verdict. Verse 71 says, Then they said, What further testimony do we need? We have heard it ourselves from his own lips. Now the Sanhedrin are in effect saying, we don't need to hear anything else. He's doomed himself. This is the announcement of the verdict that was passed in the second meeting with Caiaphas and the rest of them, the, uh, the practice trial, if you will. They already decided on this verdict uh, before this one started. But look at Matthew chapter 26, verse 66. It says, what is your judgment? They answered, he deserves death. Now, right here with this verdict, we can see that this trial is a sham in two more ways. First, the process of deciding the fate of a defendant in a capital case was to be determined by a vote. And this vote had very specific rules. It was to take place in the opposite order of seniority. In other words, the members of the assembly with the least experience were to vote first all the way to the, the members with the most experience and then the high priest. And this was put in place to avoid the younger members being influenced by the older members. There were 71 total voters, 
So there could be no tie. And this is probably the most interesting fact about this vote. If the vote was unanimous in favor of death, the case was to be thrown out due to lack of sympathy. No vote happens. It's a sham. They just start yelling out, put him to death. And the second reason why this verdict is a sham is that Jewish law did not allow for the death penalty to be given on the same day as the verdict. A day had to pass between verdict and sentencing to allow everyone to have second thought. You see, life is very precious to God. And they knew this. So they did everything they could to avoid putting people to death in trials. They would even allow new testimony and evidence to come forward in the case, even up to the very moment of execution. They tried their best not to put people to death, but that's not the case here. This whole trial is just theater. It's a sham. And this form of justice is an abomination to God. And remember what it says in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 15. We already read it once. It says, you shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or deferred to the great, but in righteousness, you shall judge your neighbor. There's, there's no righteous judgment going on here. It's just not happening. Now, this concludes the first three of six legal proceedings that our Lord will face before he arrives at the cross. These three were in front of Jewish leadership. The next three will be in front of Gentile leadership. But these three were fake. They were unfair, self-serving, and unrighteous. They were a sham. And this all resulted from wanting sin more than Christ. Next week, Pastor Sam will expose what happens when the Lord goes before Pilate. But church, just look at everything they've done just so they can keep their sin. Look at the rules they've broken, all because they want this life more than an eternity with the Lord. These sinful, evil men are sentencing a sinless, perfect savior to die. Everyone in this room deserves the fate that Jesus is going to endure for us. Do you understand that? Do you understand that? And he's not fighting it. He's going willingly for all those he is called to himself. Isaiah chapter 50, 53 verses three through seven says, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. 
Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we are like sheep that have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened up, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that is before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. So I ask you, church, where are you on sin? If you're not putting it to death within your life, that needs to change. And don't put it off till tomorrow. Do it today. Do it now. Just as Adam's sin was imputed to us all, so Christ's perfection can also be imputed to us. But it starts with an honest look into your heart. Do you want your sin? Or do you want Christ more than anything else? Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word today, Lord. We thank you, Father, for the invitation to look at our hearts, to see what's there, Lord. And we pray that you would reveal what's in our hearts, Lord. And we pray that what is it, whatever's there, that you would remove it, Lord, and that you would replace it with you and only you and only the joy that can be found in you. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word today. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.